0: Insomniacs Anonymous presents the retelling of true stories collected from the darkest corners of the web. The Man in the Yellow Raincoat This is a story that happened to my mum's friend in Korea about ten years ago. Every time I hear this story, I still get the chills. My mum's friend lived in an apartment complex in Seoul. She was a stay-at-home mother with a young daughter and her husband worked during the days. One day, she was coming home from running errands with her daughter and got into the elevator in the building. When she got on, she noticed that there was a man wearing a cap and a yellow raincoat, and he kept his head low so that she couldn't really see his face. She immediately felt really uneasy, and she made her daughter stand to the side, furthest away from the man. What made her feel even more uncomfortable was that when she pressed the button for her floor, there was no other number lit up, and on top of that, she noticed that he was carrying something wrapped inside newspaper close to his side. Things started to click in my mum's friend's head, and she started to panic and decided to take her cell phone out, and pretended she was calling home to her husband, who was obviously not really at home, but was at work. She started saying things like, Oh, I'm in the elevator and about to get off. Can you get the door for me? and making it seem like her husband was waiting for her. When the elevator did reach her floor, I think she lived on the 12th floor, she quickly got off, grabbed her daughter, and started walking as fast as she could to her apartment. She noticed that the man also got off on her floor, and was slowly following her down the hall. When my mum's friend got to the door, she started to bang on it and shout, Hey Yeebo, husband, dear. I'm home. Please open the door, and kind of pretend like he was coming to answer the door. Upon seeing this, the man in the yellow raincoat started to walk away, back towards the elevator. When he seemed far enough away, she picked up her daughter and slid open her door's passcode. This is usually how people get into their homes in Korea. But the problem was that the buttons would make sounds, and the man knew that no one was going to answer the door for her. He then turned around and started to run back towards her. My mum's friend at this point was practically screaming and threw her daughter in through the doorway. When she got in herself, she saw that the man was pretty much inches from the door, but she managed to slam it shut and lock it before he could wedge his hand or a weapon in the door. Afterwards, looking through the door's peephole, she saw the man was walking away back towards the elevator. Several months later, my mum's friend was watching the news and there was coverage of the capture of a serial killer named Yu Yong Chul. She told my mum that she could never forget the dread she felt when she saw the too familiar yellow raincoat and hat that he was wearing when he was apprehended. Yu Yong Chul was known as the Raincoat Killer and was responsible for the death of allegedly up to 20 women. The Dog in the Road This particular event happened almost a year ago, sometime in mid-October. A couple of friends and I drove out to visit an old friend of ours from high school, George, who now lived about an hour out of the city. We spent the whole day with him, and it was really late when we finally decided to leave and start the drive back home. My friend Lisa was passed out in the passenger seat. She had had a few drinks and decided to spend the ride home asleep. My other friend Sam was sitting in the back seat behind Lisa and was playing a game on her smartphone. I was driving. I was following the GPS instructions back to the freeway. At that moment, we were driving down a dark street with thick trees bordering either side. Everything was pretty peaceful, with the only sounds I could hear being that of the car moving along the road, and the radio in low volume. Suddenly, my car let out a loud jolt, and it felt as if I had hit something. Sam let out a shock scream while Lisa remained dead asleep. I slammed on the brakes, and the car came to a halt. I was breathing heavily when I asked what the hell had just happened. Sam peered through the back window and gasped. She turned to me with an angry look on her face and shouted that I had just hit a dog. I looked through the back window, and sure enough, a dog was lying in the road a few yards behind the car. Sam is a pretty big animal lover, so I wasn't surprised that she got pissed at me. She was about to open her door and rush to the animal's aid when I stopped her. Once I had gotten over the shock of running over a dog... I had a feeling in my gut that told me something was off. I am no braggart, but I consider myself to be a very attentive and safe driver. My eyes are on the road at all times, and I distinctly remember not seeing any dog in the road prior to the car jolting. Yes, it was dark, but I was sure that I would have at least seen a dog in the headlights before hitting it. I looked through the back window and took a closer look at the dog, at least as much as I could make out in a reddish light coming from my tail light. It was a fairly big dog, at least a golden retriever or something like that. One particular detail caught my attention. I could see the dog's tail wagging. Now I'm no expert on the mannerisms of animals, but I was sure the last thing a dog would do after being hit by a car would be wag its tail. After a moment of thought, I pressed my foot down on the accelerator and sped off. Sam snapped at me and ordered me to go back, but I told her that something was wrong with the whole situation. She continued to argue but she fell silent as she turned backwards to the back window. She asked, What the heck? I looked in the rearview mirror. Though it was dark, I was able to make out the silhouettes of three large figures emerging from the trees on the side of the road. The dog was now up on its feet and jumping joyfully around. The three figures looked in our direction as I pressed my foot down on the gas harder and sped off. Sam and I remained silent for the rest of the ride home. It wasn't until a few days later that we told Lisa about it. We'd been back to visit George a few times since then, but we always make sure to leave before sunset. Still, I dread to think about what would have happened if we had gotten out of the car. The man on my patio. This happened when I was around 9 years old. I'm 25 now, and it's something I will never forget. It gives me goosebumps to this day. I lived in a terrace house, four houses combined, and my neighbours and I each had our own little patio. There's a small road ten metres from my yard where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my yard and patio from the road. I live in a pretty crowded area with several of these terrace houses spread around in my neighbourhood, so seeing people walking on the road is pretty normal. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was nine, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mum got home from work. I lived maybe 50 metres away from school, so my mum figured I was mature enough to be able to walk home alone. This one day I got home from school, I did the usual thing, which was to make sure I locked the front door and double-checked that the back door leading to the patio was locked. I was nine, and being alone was scary, even though it was the middle of the day and only for an hour. I then rushed to my room upstairs to play as much PlayStation as possible before my mum came home and made me do my homework. While playing, I heard a noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio, with a view to the road. It was kind of like the sound of a cat, but my cat had been missing for over three months. Hope sparked and I thought, oh my god, did he finally come back? I ran downstairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me goosebumps just recalling it. There was a guy standing on my patio, a tall guy with black hair covering half of his eyes, making him look like a male version of the ring woman or something. I could hear him making a high-pitched sound, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth, and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped-out cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this, eventually snapped out of it and screamed so loud that the man would have heard it. He didn't react. He kept eating from the ashtray. I ran upstairs to my room, locked the door and called my mum who then called the cops. I've never been more terrified in my life. I laid under my sheets, shivering with fear as I heard those creepy high-pitched noises coming from the guy eating cigarette butts from the ashtray on my patio. I must have blacked out for a moment because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them talking to the guy saying stuff like, What are you doing? Get over here or we will come down and arrest you and so on. He didn't respond but the high pitched sound was more frequent and louder. I decided to look through the window feeling safe now the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and one woman. I did not see the creepy man however because he was standing directly under the patio out of my field of view. The police jumped the fence remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything I've heard before. He charged the female police officer with full force and knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased him, leaving him shaking on the ground, still screaming. The policeman struggled to keep him on the ground while putting handcuffs on him but eventually did it. After a while he managed to wake up the female police officer who seemed to be quite badly hurt. He called for backup and an ambulance and then sees me standing in the window above. The expression on my face must have been something else because he looked at me and said, I sure as hell hope you didn't see all that. I started to cry. By this time neighbours started arriving wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbours, an elderly woman, made me come down and she took care of me until my mum came home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what had happened. This is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male police officer came back later that night and sat down with me and my mum to talk. He explained that the guy in my patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped a facility where mentally challenged people lived, around 5 kilometres from where I live. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house five years ago, but had been forced to move when his mum, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought he would find his mum in my house. The police had to physically remove him from the house five years ago. This was the reason he reacted the way he did when the police came. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure this would never happen again. He promised it wouldn't. night vision. It was the summer before my senior year in college. My little brother was always interested in military stuff. He had gotten a pair of night vision goggles for his birthday and he'd left them at my apartment. One night I was bored and decided to try out the goggles at a wooded hiking area and nature preserve nearby. In retrospect this seems like a very stupid idea since I was all by myself and female but I was young and stupid and I got myself all excited at the possibility of seeing deer and other woodland creatures in the natural nighttime habitat. I was familiar with these woods. My best friend and I had hiked there the night before, and we'd never run into anyone else. Our area is mostly rural and pretty safe, so I didn't anticipate any trouble. I parked in a little sparsely lit parking area, ignored the sign, park closes at 10, and entered the woods, night vision goggles in hand. It was a half moon that night and that was the only light that filtered down through the canopy of trees. It was pretty dark, and I didn't want to put on the goggles until I'd found a place to sit down, so I lit my way with the mini mag light on my keychain. A couple of times I thought I'd heard a little rustling in the woods a fair distance away, but it was nothing out of the ordinary, and I put it down to animal activity, hopefully the deer I'd come hoping to see. After I'd hiked in a fair distance, I found a fallen log to sit on and put on the goggles. I don't know if you've ever used night vision goggles before, but the effect is impressive. They can turn near pitch darkness into bright as day. Everything appears in shades of green, but quite bright and clear. For a while, I had a blast looking around from my fallen log vantage point. Some chipmunks played around in the leaves nearby, and a big owl blinked its lamp-like eyes at me from a tree branch. No deer, though, and I started to think that maybe they wouldn't be likely to come anywhere near me, darkness or not if I sat right in the open on the log. So I decided to find a place where I could be a little bit more hidden. I made my way deeper and deeper into the woods, and finally found a huge tree, perfect for climbing. I've always loved climbing trees, so it was nothing for me to hoist myself up a few branches and settle in to wait for my deer. I didn't get to see any. What I did see, lit up in bright night vision, green, after about ten minutes of waiting, was this. A man dressed head to toe in dark coloured clothing, making his way stealthily through the woods. He was coming from the same direction I'd come and was clearly trying to stay hidden, moving from tree to tree and glancing around carefully before moving on again. It looked very much like he was looking for someone. It took me a few moments to notice that he was carrying something and when I saw what it was, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. He had a knife, a big one and was gripping it as if he expected to use it in the very near future. It wasn't deer hunting season, and this was a nature reserve where hunting of any kind was prohibited, and at any rate, the guy was alone and not dressed like a hunter. There was no deer in sight, and very few hunters kill their prey with knives. I was suddenly horribly aware of my situation, a young woman alone, weaponless, in the middle of the woods, at night. This was the 90s, so no cell phone and even if I had one, I wouldn't have felt safe using it, lest I draw his attention. I didn't know how he was able to see so well in the dark, and I was terrified he would look up and see me. I sat there, afraid to move, afraid to breathe, and watched him as he continued his methodical and stealthy process of scanning the forest for who, or whatever the hell he was stalking. I scanned around a bit but couldn't see anyone else, even from my high vantage point, and a sickening thought struck me that he might be looking for me. I remembered the rustling noises I heard in the woods when I first arrived, and then I thought back further and remembered something else, a white car that had followed too close behind me for most of my drive to the nature preserve. I'd been annoyed and a little freaked out at the time, but when I turned into the preserve parking area, the white car had passed me and driven on its way, and I hadn't thought anything more of it. Now I wondered... Horrified if this was the driver of that car, if he'd circled back and seen my car parked, alone, in the lot, if he'd come after me. I sat paralyzed with fear and watched the man for what felt like forever, but was probably half an hour or so. There was a heart stopping moment when he paused right beneath my tree, and I was sure he was going to look up and find me, but he didn't. After a while, he seemed to give up on whatever plan he had in mind. I heard him curse and then start heading back in the direction he'd came, the direction of the parking area. I stayed in the tree, wet with sweat, crying, until the sun came up a few hours later. Then I climbed down, still terrified, gripping a little can of pepper spray on my keychain. I made my way as fast as I could to the parking lot. The man had been there. My windshield had been smashed with a rock, and someone had scraped all down the sides of my car with something sharp. Presumably a giant knife I'm lucky didn't end up in my chest. Thank God for the night vision goggles that let me see him before he could see me, and thank God for the big trees with sturdy branches. The Mountain Man Who Wanted to Marry Me The following account occurred during the summer of 2012. It has always been difficult for me to talk about, but I found writing about it to be therapeutic. I was 17 at the time and I had just gotten my first job. I lived in rural West Virginia in a small mountain community. My mum's friend owned a camping resort not far from my house that had a general store and she said she'd pay me to help out in the store during the busy month in summer. It was a pretty easy job and I met a lot of out-of-towners which was nice because our community could get so isolated. Most of us lived pretty far from each other. One day, a big, burly mountain man type came into the store. He was in his late 40s, early 50s, probably 6'5 and about 280 pounds. He looked dirty, like he worked outside a lot. His clothes were sort of tattered and he had a long beard. We had a few of the woodsy hermit types in the area and he definitely looked like one of them. He bought some basic items, one of which was our homemade bars of soap. He came to the register, looked me up and down carefully. He didn't talk for a minute, just stared. His people skills clearly needed work. "'Did you make this soap?' he asked gruffly. "'Possibly,' I said. "'I help out with that sometimes. "'You make a lot of your own stuff? "'Toiletries and things like that? "'Yeah.' "'I like that,' he said, nodding to himself. "'Honestly, I did not know how to respond. "'I quickly rang up his items, and he paid with some crumpled money. "'Right before he left, he asks, "'You cook?' too? Sometimes, I replied. Bet the boys round here are itching to marry you, he said as he smiled to himself. I said nothing. I was puzzled as to why I stood out as wife material. I told my mum's friend slash my boss about the encounter and she laughed it off. So did my family and friends. But then mountain man started turning up more often. We chatted a little bit here and there and I found out he had a cabin in the woods. He claimed he built it with his bare hands. He said he hunted and lived off the land, other than the things he bought at the store. Over time our chats escalated with him making comments about how nice it would be to have a woman like me around who could make things and cook his kills. One time he even said, I have birthing hips that men lust after. He even started inviting me fishing, hunting and to see his place. I would always politely decline, but he got more and more insistent and I told my mum's friend about how uncomfortable he was making me. The intensity with which he said those things really scared me. She said that when he came in, go get her, and she would deal with him. Thanks to her, I started speaking to him less, and I thought I wouldn't have to deal with him at all anymore. But one night, I was closing up, and it was late, around ten at night. My mum's friend had left about an hour before, and I was left by myself. The only two cars in front of the store were an old blue pickup and mine, I was immediately alarmed because I knew Mountain Man drove a blue pickup, but I didn't see him in the lot, just his car, so I walked quickly to my car and checked the back seat before I started up. I turned the key in the ignition, but I got nothing but sputters. I tried several more times and got scared quickly. Of all nights, why is this happening tonight? Just as I was reaching for my phone to call for help, there was a loud pounding on the driver's side window. I'm shocked I didn't pee myself. I didn't even want to look because I knew it was him, but I did, and my suspicions were confirmed. He smiled a big grin at me, showing me exactly which teeth were missing. Need some help? He said loudly through the window. I shook my head furiously. My dad is on his way, I said, hoping to scare him off. I hadn't spoken to my dad in years. Mountain Man laughed. No he's not, he said. Open the door. The hairs on my neck stood up straight. How did he know I was bluffing? No, I said firmly. Leave me alone. Suddenly, he looked angry. He pulled the handle, but I had locked all the doors when I first got in. He kept furiously pulling the handle and started pounding on the window. Leave now, or I'm calling the cops, I screamed at him. He clearly wasn't getting the message, so I pulled out my phone and called 911. I must have sounded hysterical to the dispatcher, and I knew she could hear him pounding. She said she would have officers out there ASAP. The cops are on their way. Leave now, I screamed at Mountain Man, who it didn't seem to deter. But after a few more minutes of pounding, he suddenly stopped and walked back to his truck. I watched him go, hopeful he would leave me alone. But then he started walking back to me, with a crowbar in hand. No, I screamed at him. Get away from me. He started swinging at the driver's side window with the crowbar. I ducked down into the passenger seat on the floor and covered the back of my neck like they teach you in tornado drills. I heard the sickening crack of the window, but not for long. Suddenly, I heard male voices shouting, telling Mountain Man to get away from the car. I sat up and saw two men approaching, one with a shotgun pointed at Mountain Man. I recognised them as a couple of guests staying at the resort from a camping trip. I breathed a sigh of relief and got out of the car telling them that the police were on the way. I thanked them profusely as we waited for the police. Surprisingly, Mountain Man didn't make any moves to get away. But the cops came pretty quickly after that, so we didn't have much of a chance. They took him away, and I gave a statement. I was pretty shaken up for a while afterwards. A few weeks later, I got the scoop on the man. Apparently, he had a history of mental illness. He had been in and out of state institutions. He really had been living in an old cabin in the woods where he wasn't taking his meds and his issues were only getting worse. My cousin is a cop and later on he told me more about the case that he had heard through other officers. The police did a search of the cabin after the incident to see if there was anything that might be of interest. They found a journal that Mountain Man kept. Apparently, in it, he said he was lonely and wanted a wife. He mentioned me by name a lot. And my cousin said there were lewd things in there about me that he didn't want to share but he tried to put it simply by saying, Mountain Man had a detailed plan to abduct me, starting with sabotaging my car engine to get me into a vulnerable position. When my cousin told me that, I nearly burst into tears thinking about how horribly that night could have gone if those men didn't arrive in time. Thankfully, he is now back in care. With any luck, he'll stay there for good. Well, that's all for this episode. I look forward to the next one.